Good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Judges chapters uh, 15 and 16, we'll finish up Samson and then we'll do something Christmassy next week, I promise. We do have a Christmas Eve service this year, 8 o'clock. It's at 8 on the 24th. Hopefully we know that, but uh, 8 o'clock. And then there's no snacks afterwards or anything. You're welcome to hang out and talk or do whatever, but a lot of people need to get home for their families. So 8 o'clock, we'll have it. And Nice candlelight service, um, and then uh, enjoy yourself for the rest of the week. Now, that Wednesday, we won't have any Bible study. We don't have Bible study in between Christmas or New Year's ever. That's our week off, and we take that Wednesday off because we do a Christmas Eve or a, a New Year's Eve party. So keep that in mind that that'll be happening also. So Christmas Eve, we have the candlelight service, no Wednesday, and then the New Year's Eve party here at the church. So... And with that, you kind of bring something to share food-wise, and, and then we play games and dodgeball or whatever, and you're, you know, or sit and play cards or whatever you want to do. And so that's kind of our event for New Year's Eve. All right. Chapter 15, Samson finishes up here. I spent a lot of time going over it again this morning, and uh, God really gave me a heart for Sam's, Samson on this. Um, he is a character. He is a judge. Um, he had a purpose. He was a tool in God's hands, but... As I, as I read over this, as I read over it again this morning, um, really gave me a heart for him as a person. And, um, and I know he's kind of his own enemy. And we talked about that last week. He's out for himself. Um, he, 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 he never did cut his hair, but you kind of wonder why he didn't cut his hair. It was his mom and dad's choice from the beginning to let him be a Nazarite. I mean, it was God's, but mom and dad kind of thrust it upon him. He didn't ask for it. It wasn't his decision to, to, to consecrate his life to the Lord. It just kind of was upon him. You know, kind of a pastor's kid. You've just kind of grown up in it. You know, you don't have much choice in the matter. You're going to serve God <laughs> Sundays and Wednesdays. Now, when you're 18, you don't have to serve God anymore. But Samson never cut his hair. He never stopped going to church. He never stopped serving God or, 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 or at least uh, attempting to in his own way, you know. And uh, it, he was for himself. He's very carnal. Um, but I think we'll see something here. Um, he gets betrayed three different times in these next two chapters. Um, he gets let down. He gets very, very depressed um, several times, a couple times actually. And um, in the end, that, that's why it ends the way it ends. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we all, you, know, you, you know the story where he pushes over the pillars, and if you don't, you'll learn it today. Um, but it's suicide. He's done. He had enough. Um, and so we'll get into that today. Not, and maybe that's not a, oh, that's great, pleasant Sunday morning uh, teaching, but you know, a lot of people, and, and, and JC was just, he just prayed that at the end. He goes, I, I know you have exactly what we need today. And there may be someone here or in second service that needs to hear that specifically around Christmas time. Um, that sorrow and serving God sometimes goes together. But persevering through it and not succumbing to the thoughts and, and the heart, your heart, and aligning yourself with God's heart can change things in a person's life. So I hope, I hope it does somebody some good. Um, God's word always accomplishes what it was set out to do. So here's, here we go. Verse 1. After a while, um, this is after his wife had, his current wife, or he thought it was his wife, had betrayed him and, 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 and told the riddle to her relatives, and he was upset about that and left. He was just mad, and he just walked off. Okay, But he's, he's thought about it after a while. In the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. That's kind of his, that's, that's their version of a bouquet of flowers, I guess. Uh, 
And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Um, is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. Now, great dad there, right? Um, Samson, whether, you, whether we, I guess, realized or not, really loved this girl. I mean, he really did. He's upset. He doesn't want a girl. He doesn't want a female. He wants her. And dad doesn't know what to do. He's like, ah, you left, you know, and there she was. And you didn't tell us that you were coming back or that you were just mad. We just thought it was done. So I've given her off um, to the other guy. But why don't you take her younger daughter instead? You know, odd. We don't understand that culturally. I hope you don't understand that culturally. Um, but that's just kind of how it was. Um, we know that um, um, Jacob had the same problem. But we don't want to get into that story. But that was just kind of the culture. It'll just take her. I mean, she's she's younger. (laughs) She's stronger. She's just as good as any of them kind of thing. Not to Samson. And so Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Now, what does it mean this time? Well, it means last time he's feeling guilty about it. Now, God had a plan for it, a purpose for it, but he knew that what he did last time to destroy and kill all 30 of those guys was out of spite and out of revenge and out of his own anger and selfish motivation. He says, this time, you've done me wrong. Last time I was here with a goat, you know, I was going to make up for it. Sorry, I killed 30 of your guys. You know, here's a goat. I guess that's the cost. Um, But he feels bad about it. But this time, no, no. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into, a standing grain, into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. This is serious. <laughs> really wiped them out. Really took them out. Um, so he took these foxes and obviously they're, they're, I guess they're fine until he ties the not the tails together, doesn't really say that he does that. He just put the, he put it between the two tails, so maybe he tied them with a rope or something. So they're running from this fire through these fields, and if they're straddling a, a row, you know, and that fire's just going, it's catching everything on fire, you know, if they're in a row. Um, as far as vineyards go, it would be, but, so it's madness. Um, but he burns the whole place down. Doesn't kill any Philistines. Just takes out their entire food supply and probably all of their economy. Then the Philistine says, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines are trying to figure out what happened. They said, it's because that guy gave his wife away to... So they're against him now. They're against this Timnite guy, you know, who's one of them. So the Philistines are kind of turning on each other. Um, so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Wow. It's like they've been looking for an opportunity. Remember, that's what they said they were going to do to her if she didn't tell? If if she didn't tell the riddle, we're going to burn you and your father with fire. That was the thing last week. They've been looking for this. These are the kind of people they are. They just burn them. Last week, I kind of hammered on her a little bit, on her not trusting her husband. Um, This kind of drives it home, though. If she had trusted her husband, see, it doesn't matter what she does to try to avoid the problems that are coming her way by 
uh, you know, betraying her husband, she finds herself in the exact same place through that betrayal. And so here she is, and she's all burned up with fire, and so's her dad. Obviously not the younger daughter, though. She's not mentioned here, but they took her out. The Philistines took her out. It's just, the world kind of devours itself. I've been seeing that a lot lately in the news, you know. Um, a, a lot of times it seems like it's, in, in, I don't mean to make it personal, but it's me against Hollywood sometimes. I see these people saying some of the things, I'm like, oh my, wow, I cannot believe you think that way. I can't, and they can't believe that I think the way I think either. Um, I just can't believe you think that's normal. I can't believe you think that's what should happen. I can't believe that you can't see history and understand how that won't work. You know, for me, it's just mind boggling. But then I find as they, as they build up, as I see that the other side of me, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, my enemies, uh, cultural enemies for sure, they begin to bite and devour one another if you've noticed that. You know, I think the Kevin Hart thing is one of the bigger things that's come up. It's like they, they shoot themselves in the foot. The New Yorker magazine, which is the worst publication ever published, um, just recently said, you know, as I look around, we're all guilty of this. We're, all, we're, we're setting standards so high, none of us can live after. It's like they're starting to realize, wait a minute, we, we're so politically correct, we can't even talk to each other anymore. Even we can't, the right people, you know. Interesting. The world bites and devours one another. They don't know what to do. They just, they, they begin to chew on each other. And so they, they killed it. Now, what do they think is going to happen here? He, Samson didn't attack the family because he loves the girl. He attacked the agriculture. He was mad and he burned everything up just to let them know, but he didn't want them dead. Now, now they've killed them. See, they thought to appease Samson, to keep him from burning their crops, they should kill the girl that wronged him. No, this is man's wisdom. This is how man thinks. Well, here's what, here's what I think we should do. And unbeknownst to them, they begin to open up more cans of worms than they thought, you know? So let's kill her. That, that'll take care of that crazy Israelite, you know. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like, or like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. What does he mean cease? Cease what? I ask these questions as I'm reading. She said, I'm done after this. You killed her. You he's depressed. After this, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with everybody. Look where he goes after that. So he attacked so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Didn't go back to mom and dad, didn't go back to his hometown. He just walked off into the sunset, and, but not in a good way. He just got alone, isolated himself, sat in the cleft of a rock. He doesn't care anymore, you know? I'm feeling for this guy. I don't think God's necessarily trying to minister to him. I think this is just a really good picture of what a person's life looks like when they have giftings and abilities from God, but they're not committed to him. They're not committed to the Lord. They don't find their joy or their strength in him. They're not serving him wholeheartedly. They find themselves halfway kind of doing it. Well, I know that you hate the, he's going to show as much. He knows that God hates the Philistines and everything he's doing is okay. It's like, it's like a blank check for him. I can kill a Philistine all day long. It doesn't make any difference. God won't. But he's not doing it because God wants him to, or at God's timing, he's doing it whenever it suits him. He serves God when it meets his needs. And that's, that's a bad way. And this is where he finds himself in the cleft of a rock after, uh, after all of this. He's depressed. After that, I will cease. Cease what? I'm just done. 
And a lot of people are like that. Listen to people when they say that to you. And I'm not one of those guys, watch out for suicide watch, put everybody on suicide watch in your family, and you got to be careful of everything they say. There are some telltale signs of someone who's just kind of, they're done. And, and, I, and I'm not so, I better be careful I say this, I'm not so interested in saving them from suicide so they can live another day to be depressed. Does that make sense? Um, I see that as a person who is ready. Not ready for me to pounce on them to get another notch in my belt to make a Christian out of them, but ready finally to be joyful. Ready to find happiness. Ready to find purpose. Ready to find Jesus. Watch for those people that says, I am just done. Good. Good that you're done. Good that you've come to the end of that. Now let me talk about something else because there's a whole lot more going on in this world than what you've been living in your tiny little isolated sphere of influence. God is at work and he made you. I mean, it's an opportunity to talk to them about the, the tremendous ministry we have. Anybody, anybody in God's hands has a tremendous ministry waiting for them if they just completely commit. And that's where Samson is. He's at that place, but he doesn't have anybody like that. Now the Philistines went up and camped at Judah because he slaughtered a bunch of them and deployed themselves against Lehi. So it's just, it's just escalating. They've deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Underline that. It's going to come up in the very next verse. We're going to do to him what he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, here you go, you can underline this too, as they did to me, so I have done to them. It's building. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to hit you harder. You hit me harder, I'm going to hit you. It just escalates. This is where the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth rule came into play. This is why God did it, because he knows that it doesn't ever end. You knock my tooth out, I'm knocking your teeth out. You break my arm, I'm breaking your face, you know, kind of thing. It escalates. You break my face, I'm taking you out and your family. It just builds because he knows us. He knows our hearts. We want to be one up. We want to be better. It's a competition. And so we see this going back and forth. You do this, I'll do this. And it's, it's never going to end. Now, as far as God's concerned, the Philistines are dying. And that was his mission. And that's what God wants. And God is using all these things, all the selfish motivation, everything. God's purposes are still being accomplished. But you still got a sad, sorrowful soul here. What do you see here? Something I didn't see before. So I have to correct myself. When we first started this Samson judge section, I said it took 40 years for them to cry out to God, didn't I? 40 years it took from the cry. Apparently, they haven't cried out to God. Because right here he says, Samson, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? At least most of them haven't cried out to God. 3,000 of the tribe of Judah have showed up to tell Samson to leave our oppressors alone. And he's the judge. They haven't been asking for this guy. I've been wrong all these years. Samson's been doing this on his own, but more importantly, God's been doing this on his own. God saw, you guys ain't crying out, it's been 40 years. Remember I said it's one of the longest time periods? God, even God stepped in and says, I'm not waiting any longer, even if you want to wait longer. And he steps in. I think that's interesting. I don't know if there's a big, deep truth there or not, but 
He's sovereign. He's not just waiting for me to cry out. Sometimes he'll step in and save us. And maybe some of you have experiences like that where you realize God saved you and you hadn't even asked him to, you know? But anyway, he does. So they're here. <laughs> so he's been betrayed, betrayed by his wife who told the riddle. He's been betrayed by the father also. Um, and now he's being betrayed by his own people. His own people are there to take him. Now they brought 3,000. He must be known, obviously, <laughs> For his strength, so they bring 3,000 guys to take him out. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Terrible. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. Why does he say that? Because we know he could take them all out if he wanted to, because he loves his countrymen. The, the comparison here. <laughs> Oh, I better not make it political again, but it, it's hard not to. It's unbelievable that this guy was raised up after so long through his own selfish motivation, begins to take out the enemies of God, but the establishment comes up against him in the end. It's just amazing, the comparison here. That even his own countrymen are trying to tie him up and deliver him over to their enemies. Don't you know that they're in charge? It's just amazing to me, the connection here. But... I hope it doesn't end like this. He goes, are you guys going to kill me? Swear to yourselves that you won't kill me because he doesn't want to kill them. He's a nationalist. He loves them. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So he lets himself be tied up. Doesn't need to be tied up, but he lets himself stay there. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, not brittle, nice and pliable and heavy, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said that with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. King James reads better. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth-Lehi. Now, this brings him out of his funk, interestingly enough. Here's what he's done. I didn't kill the guys because he should have. If he's following that selfish motivation pattern, then he would kill the, 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 the tribe of Judah. He doesn't care. He'd kill all 3,000 of those guys because it's all about him, but he doesn't. He has this moment of nationalism. He has this moment of, of patriotism and says, no, no, I don't want to kill my brother. You guys are my family. I mean, even though you're handing me over, I'm not going to do that to you. But then gets tossed in with the Philistines. He takes out a thousand of them with the jawbone and he changes, he changes the name of that place. We're going to call this Ramoth Lehi, you know? Um, and, and that means uh, jawbone height, you know? <laughs> We're going to name it after the jawbone. Then he became very thirsty. So, first time we see this, he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. It's the first time he gives credit to God that we, that we know of anyway, that's written down. And it's the first time he's cried out to God. God, are you gonna let me die even though you've given me this great, you know, you've delivered these guys into my hands. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called its name, En Hakor, uh, which is in Lehi to this day, 
and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now that's not, that's, that's the total amount. Verse 20 is 20 years total. It's going to say it again at the end of chapter 16. So it's total, but he's just letting us know. It's not like it's been 20 years so far. It's 20 total because of what's about to take place here. Um, but anyway, so he cries out to God and asks him, and here's what's, God's right there. Oh yeah, you're thirsty. And God's dramatic, you know. He, he doesn't just cause a little water to bubble up from the nearby place and he drank from it. He just, he, he's, he's his, he's, he shows his strength, God does, you know. He is a gentle God, he is. He's a gentle savior, he loves us and he's, and he's kind and, and long-suffering and patient. He's all those things, he's wonderful attributes. But he's also very powerful. And he's alone with Samson. And Samson gets this about him. There are some men that don't come to church because they don't understand the, the prissy little Jesus that everybody worships. You understand? They have this picture from when they grew up of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, Jesus who stood there with this pacifist face on. And they're like, I, 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 there's no respect. I don't understand that. And I think they're right to think that in a way because that's not who he is. That's not what he looked like. He was very active. He was, he, was, he was one of the joyous, most joyful guys in the Bible. You know, and I say that respectfully, guys. Um, he was a man. He, he was one of the most, he was, his, he was acquainted with sorrow, but he was the gladdest man that ever lived, the Bible tells us. He was also very powerful. Um, he flipped tables over. Everyone was afraid of him. He made a whip of cords and whipped everybody out of the temple. I mean, there's something about him that I think we're missing as he fully represents our Father in heaven who is gentle, long-suffering, and patient, and kind, and beautiful, and all those things to his children. But he has this side of him that's very powerful. And so instead of causing a little bubbling brook to show up, he shows up and he, 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 he splits it, you know? Um, so God split the hollow place, just crushes it, split it open, and here comes this water. And his spirit returned. It's good. And I don't mean Holy Spirit. He's already been filled with the Spirit, but this is a Spirit just like life, you know? He's okay now. Now, he left the cleft of the rock here, verse 1 of 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Uh, not so great, okay? Not so great, obviously. But he's back on track, as much on track as Samson ever was, if that makes sense. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were, quiet, they were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Must have known they were there. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gate posts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So he doesn't just take them off the hinges and drop them. He carries them away to the top of some hill and sets him there. Now you guys can spend all day and all night trying to get those back on your city, you know. He just, it just shows you a little bit of his personality there. Because he could have just busted him open and walked on out like a tough guy. Now I'm going to take him with me and he carries him and puts him on a hill. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman. This is the second time. He loved a woman. In the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And we all know that. We all know who she is. He loves her. And I don't think the Bible is lying, and I think the Bible is giving us an accurate statement about his heart for her. He genuinely loves her. But oftentimes that love doesn't return to you, which is a hard thing. 
And a person who loves somebody who is willing to overlook, because love covers a multitude of sin, is willing to overlook a whole bunch of bad coming their way from that person because they love them. And I don't know that God would ever change that about a person. I don't think he'd ever. See, we, we like to teach each other to wise up, you know, wise up. Can't you see what she's doing to you? Can't you see what he's doing to you kind of thing? Now, physical abuse aside, that that's obviously needs to be handled and um, needs to be arrested and there needs to be punishment for that. But there's something about it. If we're, if we're Christians, which is technically means little Christs, we're supposed to be little Christs, then Jesus has done a whole lot for his bride, and the bride has certainly sent a whole lot back at him the wrong way. You know? You want to talk about an abusive relationship. It's the church with Christ. You know? Most love him. Most worship, I hope. But a lot of them just kind of go on, commit adultery, come back to him, commit adultery, come back to him, commit adultery. He puts up with a lot from us, you know, in our wayward ways, you know. Um, and so we see this in Samson a little bit. After it happened that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies, because they couldn't tell by looking at him why he was so strong. It tells you what he looked like. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him, to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. 30 pieces of silver was enough to get Judah to turn over the Messiah, okay? One of his closest friends. 1,100 pieces of silver per ruler? I mean, we're talking not rich. We're talking wealthy, you know? I mean, this is not a, this is huge. They tell her exactly what they plan on doing. We're going to afflict your husband. We're going to afflict this man. Tell us who he is or where his strength comes from. She goes with it. Money over, money over substance. Money over her man. Um, you see that sometimes. You see women look at their husbands like they're just money producers. You know, Why don't you make more money? Why don't you do this? I don't have a lot of experience with that. I don't have a lot of counseling sessions like that. But there's, there are comments made sometimes, you know, um, I see funny things posted by certain women that talk about you know, husbands coming home, saying you've been home all day. Why would you, you know, clean the house or whatever? Why does it look like this? And then she responds, well, you've been working all day. How come we're not millionaires? You know, both, both are obviously wrong. <laughs> um, but there's that carnal, fleshy marriage where God's not a part of it. We're serving one another regardless of whether the other person serves you back. There is no Jesus heart towards the bride or um, a church-like heart towards the husband. It's just not there, unfortunately. And there's a battle that goes on in their home. And it's, it's, uh, it's catty, you know. It's, it's nitpicky. It's um, sarcastic. Um, just, I, I'm not a fan of that Babylon Bee. Have you ever seen that Babylon Bee? It's a website. I'm not a fan of it. It's so... I understand it. I mean, I get, I get the humor and they're just poking fun and, and all that, but it, it's, there is a, there's a pessimism, there's a sarcasm, there's a, uh, um, I can't think of the right word for it. I had it earlier. It's a, well, maybe it'll come to me later, but there's something about it that the spirit of it is, it's off, you know, it's off. And I'm just not a fan of it. And, and, and I see 
I see Christians becoming more and more like that. Um, and, and even myself at times, you can find yourself becoming, um, I wish I could think of the word. God help me with that word. Well, sarcastic, but it's a different word. It's a cynical. It's cynical. That's the word I'm looking for. And people are cynical about the world and they're cynical about church and they're cynical about each other and they're, they're just cynical, you know? Um, and this is a cynical marriage, not on Samson's part, but on her part. It's just a, yeah, well, I'd rather be rich than with this guy, you know? Love isn't so important. I mean, this is like the original gold digger right here. I mean, she's definitely in for the money and she will throw her husband under a bus for this. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. At least she's open and honest, you know. Now, my wife likes to know everything about me so I can understand these kind of questions, you know. Well, what do you, how, do you, how do you study on Sunday morning? Well, it's top secret. Nobody knows how I study on Sunday morning. I got a secret location, I, you know. Well, no, she knows what I do and I tell her that. I don't, and if she came up to me and said this to me, I might look at her with a raised eyebrow, you know. You know, but sometimes guys, we're, we're just kind of thick and she just, well, maybe she just wants to know, you know, and that's kind of cool. How do you lift houses? That's amazing. How do you kill all these guys with a jawbone? How do you do that? Please tell me. And what's your what kryptonite, you know? So I can see if she worded it like that, how he'd be like, I'm really not going to tell you, you know, but this tells me this next statement from him in verse seven, that she does, he doesn't trust her. Because if it was worded like that and she was a good-hearted woman and she just wanted, I want to know the secret too, you know? Well, okay, I can tell you, you're my wife. He doesn't. Which means he loves her, but he knows how she feels towards him. So Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with sorry, bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks it when it touches fire. Uh, so the secret of his strength was not known. Now, I'm assuming those guys all died. So these guys are in the closet while she's lulling him to sleep. And we're going to find throughout this that Samson's a very hard sleeper. He doesn't wake up when you're tying him up. He does this several times. And so he breaks it. So there's a first opportunity for her to not do what he thought she was going to do. And she did exactly what he thought she was going to do. The trust is going away. But look what happens to him. Watch him. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what, uh, what you may be bound with. I want to know how to tie you up. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes, well, that's been tried already, but she doesn't know that, that have never been used, then I become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke, off, broke them off uh, his arms like a thread. Now, maybe he thinks while he was sleeping, she was sleeping too. These guys snuck in and tied him up and she didn't know about it either. And she was truly warning him of the danger that was upon him. Maybe that's what he thinks. And guys, we will think of anything, and gals, you'll think of anything to defend, won't you? I mean, if you love him, oh, he certainly, certainly didn't mean it that way. Certainly, that's not true, you know? So here's the third time. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. 
Tell me what, I, what, what, how can we tie you up? And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, what's happened? Awfully close, Samson. I don't trust her, but he's talking about his hair now, you know, very close, very close. So she wove it tightly with a batten of loom. I tell you, this guy sleeps like a baby and said to him, then the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke up from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? So he tells her this all the time. You always tell me you love me. You're always fawning over me. But how do I really know unless you tell me how I can kill you? And look what Samson does when he gets brought into that place. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she protested him uh, or pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That's not a figure of speech. That's not an exaggeration. The Bible doesn't do that. He was, he wanted to die. Why? Because the woman he loved is never going to leave me alone unless she knows how it is that I can die. And that breaks your heart when you come to that realization that the person you've poured your heart into doesn't feel the same way and will never feel the same way about you. That's a tough place to be. And so I feel for Samson for the first time in my ministry, I have a heart for this guy. It's not a funny story anymore. It's not a, I mean, it is, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but this is a guy that is just, he is living a life of sorrow. And he's the strongest guy in the world. He could have the world by its tail. Honestly, he could be in the greatest ministry ever. He could lead everybody to victory. He could do so much, but he's not committed to God. And he's running into this woman. She, he's vexed to death that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He's willing to give her the secret. He poured his heart out. He gave her all of his heart. He'd been holding it back. Okay, here's what it is, honey. My life is in your hands. Truly places his life in her hands. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she was broken and fell in love with him immediately. No, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. Go to sleep, buddy. It's going to be okay. And called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. So he's got some kind of dreadlock situation going on here. Seven locks. Then she began to torment him. I don't know what that looked like. Wake him up is what I assume bug him, poke him, come on, come on, just to see. She begins to torment him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He had loved her more than he loved God. It was a turning point. He had loved her more than he loved God. And so God departed that's it. You've given up your Nazarite vow for her. And so he's going to let him come to the end of himself. He's going to let him reach the bottom that he's, he didn't think he could reach here. This does end well, by the way. 
Just so you know, there's a happy ending to this. There's a happy ending. But he did not know. He says, I can do this without God. I've got my woman. She doesn't love me, but I can do this without God. So he thought he could do it. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes. They bored out his eyes, he says. I don't know what that, that's gross. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to me probably. I don't, well, maybe not, but man. They bound, this is the kind of people they are. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Completely humili- humi- uh, um, humiliated. Um, and he's pushing grain around. He's, he's a mule for the Philistines now at this point. Now, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. Uh, when the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So they're given this. Dagon was a half, half man, half fish God, Jonah. Um, when he ministered to Nineveh, <laughs> whether he wanted to or not, know this, they worshiped Dagon. So that's a funny story in and of itself. Now that you see this giant fish prepared for him, vomiting out a prophet, bleached white from being in the acid of the stomach, saying, 40 days till judgment, you can see why Nineveh responded like they did. <laughs> Dagon showed up. Anyway, it's another story for another time. This is the same God. So it happened. When their hearts were merry, that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. Now, I don't know what kind of perform. Was a song and dance? Or was his strength kind of back and he was doing feats of strength? Something. I don't know. We really don't know what the performing was. I, don't, I think it's that. Personally, I think he was doing some minor feats of strength because his hair was growing back. He was doing some you know, tearing phone books or whatever kind of thing. I don't know. And they stationed him between the pillars. He's got his eyes gouged out um, and he's doing tricks. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. So they are at the temple of Dagon, okay? And this thing has a top porch on it and they're all up there and they're all dancing and worshiping and having a great time with Dagon, their God. They've got their little pond down there dancing and he wants to be leaning up against those two pillars down below them. And so... Let me lean against them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. So I don't know his motivation here except it's more revenge for him. But here's what he says. Here's his final depressing thought. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which support the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. It's a suicide. I'm going to take vengeance. I'm going to fulfill ministry here. I don't know what he's thinking, but I know this. He wants to die in the end of it. I mean, what's the point? And he pushes with all of his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. So that was the end of his ministry right there. And I told you there was a happy ending. 
before we go there, it's a, it's a verse, you can turn there right now, I guess. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. 32. Um, well, let's just read it. This is the hall of faith where the people that served God well are mentioned. And more of the stories are, they're, they're very detailed through chapter 11 about Abraham, about Moses, and, and some of the folks, and, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Isaac, and all these guys, and, um, and, and, and many others. But then we get to verse 32, and he runs through a list, the writer of Hebrews says, about all these great men of faith. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and Samson. Samson's in the hall of faith. Delilah's not mentioned, and I don't know that he would have. Because as we hear these uh, biographies of Abraham and, and so on throughout chapter 11, they don't mention their sin at all, ever. And that's a beautiful thing. Because in the Old Testament, is pre-cross, then you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cross. And then after that, God remembers your sin no more. And so if he was to take the time to write about Samson, I'm convinced it would have only talked about his victories and they were for God and that he cried out to God and they loved God. And that's the good side of this. That's the good news of this. As rough as Samson was, as um, carnal as he was, as a, as a judge, you know, he's, God calls him and puts him in the hall of faith with all these other great men and women of God. That's encouraging to me, you know. I hope it's encouraging to you this morning. Um, that, uh, that sheriff that, that didn't go in to the school when the school shooting was taking place down in Florida, I think it was, he's on charges and um, obviously for not doing, neglecting his duties and all that. And, and uh, it said that the thing he asked for here in court was that there be some kind of statement written that stated that he was not legally liable to go in and protect those kids. And I read that. Because up until that point, I got to thinking, there's, there's a, everybody has a moment of cowardice in their life, I think. And so I could almost understand that about the guy. Just paralyzed with fear, hit him, didn't know what to do, just, I, I can't go in. I can almost understand that. I, I don't condone it. I think he should have gone in. I, don't misunderstand me. But I can almost, but to then go to court and to continually try to save yourself like you did the first time, Shows it wasn't an act of cowardice. He's a coward. He thinks only of himself. And I don't want to be that person. And we don't want to be those people with Jesus. There are moments in our walk with Jesus where we, we don't do what we know God called us to do. But those are moments. Don't let those moments define us. Don't let those become who we are. I am a servant to the Most High God, and sometimes I say no to him and shouldn't. But I don't ever be defined as someone who had everything God had given me and did nothing with it, hid the talent, put it into the dirt, never even attempted to serve God, you know. Serve the Lord. Commit yourself to the Lord. And just a partial commitment gets you looking like Samson. Gets you put in the hall of faith. You see how, you see the grace and the mercy of God there? I mean, even if you did one thing for me, wow. It's almost as if he was saying, even if you only gave one cold drink of water to one of the least of these, you've given it to me, and that puts you in the hall of faith. It's almost like that. 
But that's a life full of carnality. That's a life full of sorrow. That's a life full of no victories and self-serving. But you're saved, you know. But God doesn't call us to that. He wants us to be wholehearted all the way in with him. Jesus was all in with the Father. The example wasn't just, look, we can all do this. It's like, look at the life you can have. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he was whipped. Yes, he was betrayed. Yes, no one was there at the cross with him. But he didn't need any of that because he was fully committed to the Father. And it was the Father that he approved of and appreciated and loved and received from. He didn't receive from everybody else. When he wanted to get built up, he went in prayer, he got with the Lord, he was rejuvenated, and he went out and ministered some more to people that were ungrates. They were ingrates, you know? But he was the gladdest man that ever lived. How? How could he not be depressed? How could Jesus not be laying in bed in a dark room wondering, how's it all going to end? I wish it'd just end, you know? How? Because he fully appreciated the Father, fully served him. His hope was in his Father. You know, everything was there. And he was able to go through all of that and still be the gladdest man that ever lived. There's hope if you're depressed. But it's not in us. It's not in the world getting it. It's not in the world knowing about it. It's not in your medications necessarily, although those may help to some extent. It's in your fully committing to the Father and appreciating everything he has for you and everything he's done for you and his approval of you, your love, your joy, the, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength, it tells us. And he is joyful over you. and He loves you with an everlasting love. And he can't wait for you to be with him forever. And he died for you on the cross. And his thoughts toward you are as precious as the sands of the sea, even though nobody else's is. But his are. And he created this whole place. And he loves you. That's where we close today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you show us Samson's heart and his life. Honestly, um, there's no building him up. But more importantly, we love how you remember him in Hebrews 11 and how you had a heart for him. And he is of the hall of faith and he's to be looked up to. He's to be emulated. He's to be, um, he's one of the folks that are known for serving you well. And he, he honestly just didn't as far as I'm concerned. But God, that shows how how, how much you want to, you're looking for fruit in our lives. You're not looking for fault. You're looking for fruit in our lives. And that you exalt and that you lift up. And that's the opportunity you take to put us into that hall of faith. And we thank you, Lord, that that is how our father feels about us. You are truly a good father. You're an amazing dad. And thank you for building us up this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.